What we are committed to being as a church family is as those who are about the kingdom of God. That's why we're taking this whole year, we're talking about life in the kingdom of God. Jesus came to give his life to those who believe and that life is eternal life and it's in the reality of the kingdom of God. And so this summer we're talking about the promises of the kingdom of God. All those things that, that come to those, these, these specific characteristics that, that reveal Christ and the corresponding promises that, that go with each one of those blessings. We're excited as we walk through these, these Beatitudes. And I hope that you're studying them at home. I hope that you're taking time each day just to read them. This would be a wonderful way for your, your family to memorize Scripture, to memorize the Beatitudes. And you'll notice everyone begins the same way with the word blessed. As we talked about last week, blessed, makarios, means uh, possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by fullness from God. To, to be blessed is to experience the satisfaction that comes with knowing that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. In any circumstance, God is going to be faithful and he's going to care for you. These, these blessings and, and, and promises, they're, they're not just for elite Christians. I, I'm going to say this week in, week out. These blessed qualities are true of all Christians. They're made actual in Christ. They're sought by all saints and they're partnered with these wonderful promises. And, and what we want to do is to understand we will never live as Christ did. Christ is holy and perfect in every way. But as we pursue Christ and these characteristics become more of our lives, we will be able to experience these promises that go with these characteristics. And today, today we're going to be looking at, at what, what it means to be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to the Beatitudes. Let's go to Matthew chapter five. Our, our focus verse is verse four, but Presley's gonna come and she's going to read for us uh, all of the Beatitudes. She's gonna read for us uh, three through 12. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And Presley, if you would please read for us the Beatitudes beginning in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Presley. Thank you. You may be seated. Pray now for the preaching of God's Word. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall be. That shall, again, is a future absolute. It's going to happen. There's nothing that can stop it. The promises of God cannot be stopped. This word uh, comforted, uh, it's for they shall be comforted. That phrase is actually a single uh, Greek word. It, it, it is the, 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 the word paraklethesentai. Uh, uh, and it comes from the Greek noun. And you know this noun because we studied it two weeks ago. And I'm certain that you memorized it and you've, you, you use it in just your regular conversation. It's the word parakletos. 
It's the word for the Holy Spirit. Remember when we were studying the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday, that word para, alongside, kaleo, to call out alongside of. The, the ESV uses the, the word helper. The NIV uses the word comforter. But it means the same thing. It's that person who comes alongside and speaks truth and cares for and, and encourages and, and, and helps along the way. And so those who mourn are comforted. Those who mourn specifically what we're going to see this morning over their sin are comforted in Christ. To help us understand this, uh, we're, we're going to use the Old Testament uh, example of David. David was caught in sin. He thought he'd gotten away with it, but God was too gracious to allow him to, to remain in, in, in his sinful condition. And, and so uh, God spoke clearly and he repented and he mourned his sin. Uh, the full expression of that experience of mourning is found in Psalm 51. So if you would go ahead and leave Mark chapter 5 and turn now to Psalm 51. We're going to walk through that to gain some perspective on sin and, and why we should mourn over it and how it is God comforts us. But first, I want to give you a little background on the story. So the background on Psalm 51, you don't need to turn there. It's 2 Samuel 11 and 12. So what happened was um, David was being unwise. He was king and he should have been out to war. It was spring, but instead he was at home goofing off. And, and friends, we need to understand that sin often comes when we are where we're not supposed to be. If you're in the wrong place, you can typically uh, count on the, the enemy showing up and tempting you. And that's exactly what happened to David. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time, goofing off. And, and given the temptation with, with his shield of faith down, not being mindful to honor God, rather than repent immediately because of what he saw, he did what Eve did. He, he saw it, he, he examined it, and desired it. And so he took advantage and he sinned. And then he covered it up with lies and murder. And he thought he got away with it. And friends, can I tell you, the worst thing that can happen to a, to a human being is that they sin and think that they get away with it and the Lord leave them in their sin. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. Read Romans chapter one. When God turns you over to your sin, there's nothing worse that can happen to you. The best thing and the gracious thing that God does is he brings his word to bear on our soul and he brings great conviction so that we mourn over our sin. And when we do mourn over our sin, there is a comfort that comes to us. And, and so God was very gracious to David. He allowed Nathan the prophet to come and to speak to him. And the way Nathan did this, friends, there is something significant to be said about the way God used Nathan and the way he was so masterful in presenting David's sin. You'll remember King David, before he was King David, before he was war, David, he was a shepherd boy. And so there's a particular metaphor that, that was used by Nathan that would arouse passion in David so that he could see his sin from an objective perspective. And so we, we read what, what Nathan said in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It'll be on the screen. It says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. 
Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the, the man who'd come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he has done, he, has, he did this thing and because he had no pity. He's mad. He's fired up. He understood as a shepherd boy how detestable this sin was. How uh, grievous it was. How wrong it was. Nathan was masterful in helping David see the truthfulness and the awfulness of his sin. And Nathan showed the, the personal depth of David's sin. In verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the sinner. You are the one who has done this. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the, the house of Israel and, and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would, have, I, would, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with a sword of the, of the Ammonites. David... What you've done is what that, that fictitious man did. You took the blessing of God and turned your back. And you took advantage of another. And you've caused harm and hurt and death and misery. And you were given all these great blessings and you, you've done this. And David's response was dead on right. Look at how he responded in verse 13. It's there on the screen. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He mourned his sin. He mourned over sin, and so he experienced this promise of God's, God's comfort. God comforts those who mourn over sin. And there's, there's three levels to sin that I see in the text that I want to encourage you to see. And there are blessings for those who are willing to mourn over those sin and repent. And if not, there's pain that will come. And I want to make that obvious to all of us because we are all the man. We are all those who have been genuinely blessed and given much more than we deserve. And we have turned our backs from time to time, some of you right now, purposefully on God. Take note of three things and remember this, okay? First thing is this. Those who mourn over private sin, private sin can be comforted in Christ's forgiveness. Those who mourn over their private sin. This is the sin that exists in our hearts and minds that, that, that probably no one else sees except the Lord. And that's why, that's why it's first and foremost against God because it's in our hearts and in our minds where only we and God can, can see it. And it's there that, that we first dishonor God if we choose to sin. We... we we, come, we become accustomed to things and, and often things that are right in, in obvious view, we miss. Let, let me, for instance, let me, let, me, let, me sh let me give you an example. If you would, take one, one hand and cover one of your eyes, all right? Now with your eye that can see, look to the middle and you'll notice that your nose is there. <laughs> you, you notice that? Can everyone see? If you can see your nose, raise your hand. 
Okay, if you didn't see your nose, we need to see you after the service. There's, <clears throat> there's an issue there. We got an eye doctor. We can work on that, right? So, so what, what do we do? Well, you can see your nose. You can always see your nose. But here's what you've learned to do. You've learned to see past your nose. This is what we do with sin. When it gets captured in our hearts and minds, we start making excuses for it. We begin to ignore it. We don't want to be bothered by it. So what do we do? We look past our sin. And, and, and that private sin, it lives in our hearts. And it, and it is. It's an affront to God. But thankfully... God is gracious. Speaking to Christians, this is, this is a scripture that was written to the church. The Apostle John wrote this to Christians. Look what he said in, in, in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. David knew the mercy of God. Look in verse 1 of, of uh, Psalm 51. David cries out, Have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. That's a single Hebrew word, kesed. And it speaks of the divine favor. Whole books have been written on this one word, this concept, because it has so many facets. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. David knew because of the grace and the mercy of God, he could be forgiven. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He wanted to be made right. He wanted a right standing with God. And that's what the gospel can do. The gospel has the power to take sin and, and to purify us and to, and to wash it away and to give us a right standing with God in our hearts and minds so that we can have peace. If you will mourn over your sin, that private sin in your heart and mind, God will comfort you with forgiveness. When we think of three circles, it's important to remember this. We understand God's design is harmony and perfection, but we also know that our sin has created brokenness. And thanks be to God, he did not abandon us in our brokenness. In that inward reality, knowing that we're not right, no matter how we want to pretend in front of other people that we've got it all together, in our hearts, by the grace of God, if we, if we can receive the word of God, we know we're not right. We know there is a brokenness. But if we will repent and believe the gospel, rather than trusting in ourselves, we repent, we stop relying on ourselves. Instead, we look to Jesus Christ, the one who came, died for our sins and has been raised. And, and having believed in him, we can be forgiven so that we can pursue and recover God's design, but it doesn't stop there. See, here's what happens. When you begin to pursue and recover God's design, you become more and more like Jesus. And the more you become like Jesus, the more you're gonna hate sin that's at work in your flesh which is gonna lead you to see the sin and the brokenness, which is gonna lead you to repentance and belief in the gospel, not for salvation, but for sanctification, so that you can become more like Jesus. And you will become more like Jesus as you hate your sin and you deal with those, those private thoughts and affections and you seek to kill them with the gospel. And the closer you get to being more like Jesus, the more you hate sin. So the rest of your life is a cycle of becoming more like Jesus, hating sin more, trusting more in the gospel, to be transformed into Jesus, to hate sin more. It's a way of life for those of us who believe. And it's a grace. It's the grace of God that enables us to repent, to mourn our sin, to be comforted with forgiveness. Because if we will not, that sin does not stay still. That sin gets worked out in our relationships. Your sin is never just going to hurt you. 
Your sin will always help, I'm sorry, will always hurt those who love you the most. Because private sin becomes personal sin. It becomes personal in our relationships and it hurts and it harms those relationships in as much as it hurts and it harms us. Private sin that is not dealt with becomes personal sin. But those who mourn over, write it down, those who mourn over personal sin can be comforted in Christ's peace. So if you didn't kill it in your heart and mind and that sin takes root in your life and you act on it, it's going to impact your relationships. It's going to impact your marriage, your family, your friendships. It's going to have a real life effect. The lust, the lies and brutality that David allowed to linger in his heart and mind became actions and those actions impacted relationships. Friends, sin never, never stays private. It always becomes relational. It always impacts other people. And, and David had felt the effects. He had seen the effects of his sin on the lives around him. But knowing God's grace, he sought peace. He sought peace having, you know, and, and, and wanting that dirtiness of his, of his sin removed from him. So look what he prayed for in verse 7. He said, purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was used by the Old Testament priest to disinfect and to cleanse people from leprosy and all defilements. And what, what David was saying there is, I, I don't want anything to get in, in between our relationship, God. Don't just forgive me. Remove that sin. Remove that. Remove the, the effects of that sin that I let in my heart. I don't want it to impact the way I relate with you. And more than that, look what he said in verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. And so what he's saying is, now because I have peace with you, I want to have peace with everybody else. I don't want anger. I don't want resentment. I, I don't want there to, to be this, this constant chaos of conflict. He said, no, God, I, I want peace with you. Nothing in between me and you. All those defilements removed. Purify me. Don't just pay for my sin. Purify me. Give me your righteousness so that I can in turn, I can in turn give it to others. What, what God calls us to is this life. Look at verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You can know that you are being comforted in the gospel of God. You can know that you're mourning over your sin and you're experiencing Christ's peace when you love people the way Jesus has loved you. Pause. Are you loving people the way Jesus loves you? More than that, you can forgive you can forgive other people the way Jesus has forgiven you. Is there anyone that you've not forgiven? Friends, you are not drawing into the fullness of the comfort of Christ's peace. You need to mourn over that sin and you need to say to God, I want joy, I want gladness in my heart towards you, in my heart towards other people. I, I, I need to seek forgiveness for what I've done to them. I, I need to forgive them if they've hurt me. God, I want peace, I want joy, I want gladness. And friends, you need to know, if you do not, if you do not, there's going to be greater pain. See, here's, here's what some of you all are sitting on today. You're sitting on, you're sitting on some personal sin in your marriage. 
You're sitting on some, marriage, uh, some personal sin in your home, maybe in your business, maybe with some friends. Maybe you've got this. It went from a private sin in your heart and your head. You began to do some things, and it's kind of your dirty little secret, your home's dirty little secret. Don't, don't tell people the way we talk. Don't tell people the way we treat one another. Don't tell people the, the way we're doing these things. And so now it's become personal. It's, it's impacting your, your relationships. Here's what you need to know. Those dirty secrets come out, and it will soon become public. Luke chapter 12, verse 2, let this bother you. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. God makes it public. Over the last few years, we've seen this. Men like Bill Hybels, former pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, private thought, private sin, acted it out with another person, thought they could keep that dirty secret. It has now been public. He's lost his ministry after impacting millions of lives. He can no longer stand in a pulpit and preach. He's lost his ministry. You think about a man like Jerry Falwell, the, the president, the former president of that great Liberty University that has produced so many wonderful ministers and pastors, had this private sin in his head and his heart, brought it into his, and his family, led his wife into a debaucherous relationship in a debaucherous way. It's now become public. He has dishonored himself. He's dishonored others. Then you think about, I mean, someone like Mark Driscoll, former pastor of Mars Hill, Here's a person privately angry in his heart, detested other people and began to impact those relationships with his hatred and, and destroyed his ministry, destroyed that. You know, that church doesn't even exist anymore after almost a decade. This is a person I used to read his, his books and, and, and his great theology, great sermons, but there was sin in his heart, sin in his mind, sin in his relationships and it became public. And then just two weeks ago, the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Johnny Hunt, at, at, a, at a time when he actually preached here over a decade ago, was in unbelievable, detestable sin. And, and here's this person, private sin, personal, everyone keep it quiet, began to threaten other people involved. And what did God do? He made it public. This is what God does. And friends, it is grace. It is a gracious thing when God brings your sin to, in front of you. It's a gracious thing that he would allow you to mourn over your sin so that there can be the comfort of his forgiveness, the comfort of his peace. And, and for public sin, write it down and remember, those who mourn over public sin can be comforted in Christ's sympathy. Because God understands. Jesus understands. God sympathizes with us and the battle we face with sin. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Now, he, it's, there's a difference between empathize and sympathize. Empathize is, is when the action is personalized in, 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 a, in a very re, real way. Sympathy is when he, there's an understanding and appreciation from a distance. Jesus he understands our sin, not because he actually sinned, but because he was tempted to sin. And so look what it says here. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus sympathizes with the difficulty and the pain of living in a broken world, of being constantly uh, pushed to turn away from God. He sympathizes with our temptation and sin. 
Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, Jesus didn't sin, but he understands the pain of public sin. Never forget, as Jesus was dying on the cross, he screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening in that moment is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him might, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knows what it is to feel God turn his back on you. For the wrath of God to be poured out. And he knows what it is to be publicly humiliated for sin. Even though Jesus never sinned, he knows what it is to be humiliated. He was up on that cross naked, dying as his enemies were mocking him and laughing at him. He knows what it is to be embarrassed. Friends, I know some of you, you're trying your very best to keep their sin secret because you don't want to be embarrassed. Some of you are here and it's like it takes everything for you to come here because of what you've done what you've been a part of in some way or been done to you and you're embarrassed and you don't want anybody to know. But I want to tell you something. There's comfort. The Lord knows, the Lord cares. And he will not abandon you. He will comfort you. He will sympathize with you. He will, he will be there for you. And the right thing to do, friends, is to deal with the sin. Sin is to a soul what, what a rock is in the shoe of a runner. Friends, some of you are running with a rock in your soul. If you're a runner and you've ever run and you've got a rock in your foot, you know you can sort of ignore it and deal with the pain and just suffer and maybe cause a permanent injury. You, if you've ever run, you know you can do that. That's not wise. The wise thing to do is to say, this has got to go. If it's, if it's private right now, friends, it's got to go. If it's personal and you've, you're acting on sin, it's got to go. If it's, if it's been made public and now there's a little shame and embarrassment, it's got to go. Mourn over your sin and experience the comfort of God so that a public ministry can come from it. Look what, look what David said in verse 13. Look what can happen when, when you allow the Lord to comfort you in this way. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. What's he saying? I can tell other people, look at the grace of God. Look, look, what, look what I did. I'm not going to be held captive by it anymore. I'm not going to be ashamed of it anymore. I'm just going to be honest. This is what I was. This is what I did. Here's what happened. But Grace. And, and I have been forgiven and, and I now have peace and I, I now have the Lord who is sympathizing with me. Some of you today cannot do that because you're not a Christian and you need Jesus so bad and he will forgive you. Some of you are Christians, but you're letting those rocks ruin your life. Today you need to repent, mourn over that sin and receive the comfort of Christ. And I want to encourage you, in just a minute, we're going to have leaders up here. We're going, to, we're going to sing. I want to encourage you to come and talk with them or come and pray and talk with God and be renewed. But before we do that, I want to speak to one more comfort, one more way the Lord comforts us that, that mourn. This is um, 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 3. I'll put it on the screen for you. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too in all afflictions. No matter how your heart has been broken, no matter how you're hurt and how deep it goes, the Lord God understands and he cares and he will comfort you. He gets it. This is Psalm 56, 8. You have kept count of my tossing. So those of you who are anxious and upset and you can't sleep at night and you're tossing around, God's counting them. And your tears, you put my tears in your bottle. He's measured them out. He knows every one. Are they not in your book? And they are. We have a God who understands our pain and he cares for us. And when we mourn and we say this hurts and this makes me sad, he comforts us because he loves us and he understands and he cares. Jesus knows what it is to die. Jesus knows what it has, is to have your family hurt you. He knows what it is to have your friends turn against you. He knows what it is to have those in leadership abuse you. And so he understands and he will comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we're not allowed to act weird, but it's okay to be sad. It's okay to cry, and it's okay to mourn. Because when we mourn, we open ourselves to the comfort of God. And many times the comfort that we receive is from one another as we acknowledge our pain. Now, some of you, as Pastor Bill was saying, you, you need to be saved. You need to have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you need to return to the Lord and be faithful to Him. And so right now, we're going to give you the opportunity to do this. Let's stand together. If I could have our, our care leaders to come forward. They're going to be here as we, we're going to sing a song of God's blessing, uh, what it means to be blessed. And, uh, and you come and pray. Let me pray for you now. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your great love for us and the way you care for us. And you comfort those who mourn. And so I pray for some today who need to be mourning over their sin, that you've awakened them and that they will get that rock out of their, out of their soul, that sin out of their, their life. Others who, who need to renew their faith commitment and others who just need to come and pray because they're being afflicted in some way and be comforted by your spirit. Help us, God. Help us, God.